Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. Today on the show, um, I've got a, a wonderful human being uh, joining me today. Um, I don't know, how would you describe yourself, like, title-wise? Like, you're a poet, aren't you? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've done, I've done that before. Yep. Um, are you asking for my resume? Yeah, yeah, I guess, like, oh, uh, just for order some um, ways you would describe yourself. I am an instigator of curiosities. Yeah. That's a good, that is a great indicator. I don't know, I like that. Yeah, um, my business card just says instigator on it. Nice. Yep. Well, I know uh, at one point you described yourself, when we were planning this, you were like, you uh, use community as a direct challenge to capitalism and the bootstrap rhetoric. Yes, that's true. What does bootstrap rhetoric mean exactly? Oh, you know that old uh, pull yourself up by your bootstrap saying that um, that we were, have been fed <laughs> since we were children? Right, the um, the idea that you know if you just work hard, you'll be a millionaire someday. Yeah, that ain't it. That, no, that, uh, <laughs> studies have shown <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is not in fact it. Yeah, there's literal studies. Like there's um there's entire statistics disproving that as mm -hmm. um yeah. Precisely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that is valid as fuck. Um, so uh, I'd like to introduce. Nina Horvath to the show. Welcome, Nina. Hi. How Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm tired. Um, it's like really kind of like around this time of day, like I just kind of crashed a little bit. So I drank a little coffee not too long ago. So uh, hopefully that kind of uh, gets me back in the zone. But, uh, but yeah, overall pretty good. My, it was my day off. Uh, had an episode earlier today. Going to Cactus Club tonight. What are you going to do there? Uh, it's the Flat Teeth uh, LP release party. Uh, mm -hmm. They're an indie rock band out here. I, so I do uh, music writing. I cover the local scene and uh, for Breaking and Entering. And uh, yeah, there's a band that's playing with them that I haven't covered yet called Live Tetherball Tonight that I will be uh, hopefully uh, chasing down for an interview. So. Oh, fantastic. That's what I usually do uh, on the weekends. <laughs> I hope that coffee kicks in for you. I hope it does as well. Um, so, Nina, uh, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear. There are passionate and creative minds. Um, so I know that you did a TED Talk uh, before, and it was about radical vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, that resonates a ton with me because I feel like I'm, I, I, like I made a status about this earlier today actually, but just about like how men need to be talking about their feelings a lot more. Mm -hmm. And I think especially in the context of like being vulnerable, that's something that especially men, they, they lack on a large scale and it often, they're very like kind of resistant to the idea of being vulnerable. So, and that was never really something that I myself uh, really identified with growing up too much. Like, I felt like I've always kind of been like you know an emotional wreck and pretty openly one. So I, I mean I I really uh, I like you know when. I like to expand the conversation about vulnerability, like especially when it comes to, like I mean anybody really, but especially men that you know, like developing those like skills to, you know, be in touch with their feelings, with their emotions, and to really like uh, develop like those communication skills when something is wrong or when they're things that they're sensitive about. So, do you feel like? As a whole, men are kind of discouraged from expressing their feelings in ways that vary from lust or anger. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the phrase that's popping up in my head right now is man up. That's what was popping in my head too. Were you told to man up as a kid? 
plenty of times, yeah. Yeah, how did it make you feel when you were little? Uh, it just kind of like, it kind of just, you feel very like shut down. You're outside of, you know, the social norm um, when you're, you know, a boy that, you know, is, um, is outwardly and openly, like, emotional or sensitive, um, that's often, like, weaponized against you growing up as, like, oh, you're a sissy, or, oh, you're acting like a girl, and that's a big one, that was actually a big one for me, is if I was, because, like, I was, like, you know, very emotionally unstable growing up, um, and, uh, I, you know, I would get told, like, that I was acting like a girl, like, a lot by, like, my friends. Um, so, you know, it definitely, like, kind of made me feel like I had to, like, shut down, like, shut out my emotions or that I needed to sort of suppress them in order to be accepted. Um, and, you know, anger is, like, the most readily available emotion there is. And uh, it's a lot of men that aren't, they don't feel like they're allowed, like the way they're socialized to, to, um, to access any emotion other than that, because it's just not what's expected of them culturally. Did you find that when you shut down your emotions, you were more accepted by your peers? Did you feel more of a sense of acceptance and fitting in? Maybe temporarily. But ultimately, not really myself. I, I didn't accept myself anymore. Um, because those emotions had to come out eventually. A lot of times they'd come out at home. You don't build any self-awareness with that. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I feel like any acceptance that I may have received from suppressing my emotions and manning up, quote-unquote, uh, was never really, it was very, like, superficial you know it was never really like any it wasn't anything that truly lasted into anything I truly felt included into so like do you some some people remember this but like do you remember the turning point where you sort of were like fuck this it's not worth it um I'm gonna be a boy who cries like, did you, like, you know, like, your Pinocchio moment, right? Like, do you know when that happened? Do you re remember it? Um, hmm. I don't know if it was ever any specific moment. But it's, it, I think it was kind of a, uh, it was a gradual sort of thing. Like, it was very long-term um, where it, I think it came from being away from the environment I was raised in and being somewhere completely new, being Milwaukee, because I'm originally from Illinois. Okay. So when I came to Milwaukee, I felt like gradually as, you know, I made new friends, as I met new people, got exposed to, you know, different communities and different ideas and just, you know, I guess like just got more in touch with like the real me um, it became easier to do that over time. Um, I think another, I, I think a big turning, kind of the turning point in my life, like, kind of as I know it, in general, was, uh, being in the psych ward, um, February of 2017. Uh, that was like, cause it, I mean, it saved my life. Um, I was in there for four days and it, like, was the first time I, like, uh, sought treatment for issues that I had been running away from for so long. And uh, one of those things, I think, is definitely running away from your own vulnerability. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that, I guess you could, you could say that's my Pinocchio moment. Um, but what about you? What, what what about me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess it's like, what am I asking you? Uh, well, I guess for you, like, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when we're talking about this, the culture we were socialized in, um, like, did you feel like you were, like, readily and 
confidently. I, I guess were you like, did you feel like you were allowed to be vulnerable growing up as a woman? Um, I have no idea. I think that I always was vulnerable. Like I've always been a crier. Um, I've always had very big demonstrative feelings, which um, for me, like I tried to shut those down. Like when I became a teenager and I became like very aware that like the cool girl trope was the likable girl trope, right? And this was like the 90s. I was a teenager in the 90s. So like we were had like we had Cameron Diaz. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, and she was like such um I'd like this fucking like pizza guzzling, beer drinking, cool girl, right? You could like hang with the boys. I remember like trying to trying to care about football just because like yeah like the cool girl trope was kind of the height of the 90s and i think she was kind of um she was paired with like the the rebel girl trope remember we had like faith from buffy the vampire slayer yeah, yeah. so we so we had like the cool girl and the rebel girl like you know I remember Shirley Manson of Garbage, like bands like that were starting to come out from the underground and hit the mainstream. You saw that stuff on MTV mm -hmm. um, more than ever. And so like, there were like two choices. <laughs> if you didn't want to be a, like a, a bubblegum princess, if you didn't want to be a princess, there were two choices. You had to like wear red lipstick and leather pants or you had to look beautiful while also looking like you didn't care about what you looked like. Sure. <laughs> so you had to be glamorous in like jeans and a t-shirt and like eat a lot of pizza and never get fat. Like sure. that was, that was like what, huh. <laughs> that was what it was. Kind of like those commercials for like the fast food restaurants where like the, the, the supermodel has like the giant like Big Mac or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it was like being a teenager, teenager in the '90s was a, a really weird, a weird time. I think like before that, there was kind of like one way that you had to be as a woman, and like as a girl, the way that you had to be was always dependent on what men liked. Um, if you look at like magazines for women. Up and up until like now ish, like all the articles were tips on how to make men like you. So mm -hmm. before that, like up before that, there were um, you know there was just like kind of one way you could be. Um, we like there were all of the fashion icons, and I guess you could like be Marilyn Monroe or Audrey Hepburn, but still, it was, yeah. it was kind of like it, it all you know all roads lead to the same place when it comes to that but the 90s i think was the first time that you were able to choose mm -hmm. the choices were still kind of pigeonholed but you had you had choices so like i tried to really shut down like my emotional vulnerability because i was you know if i was emotional i was hysterical and unreasonable and irrational yeah and I wanted to be the cool girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I've never been cool, turns out. Um, <laughs> I'm still not the cool girl, but like the difference between being 16 and 36 is <laughs> that you don't care anymore, so. But that's, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, you not being the cool girl makes you the cool girl. I'm not, like, at least how I, how I like to think of it. Cause like, you know, what even is cool? You know, like, it's such a, it's such a, like, meaningless term these days. Like, I think cool people that are cool, like, I feel like there's always been, like, a connotation with it where it means you've, like, where, like, you don't have to try hard to be liked or accepted. Right, you're just, like, kind of, like, effortlessly adored. Yeah. What I discovered, because like I went through in my, I'm so glad you never met me in my early 20s. Because <laughs> um, I think that's like the period, you, you've escaped being a teenager and you're still alive. So you're like, wow, that's, 
that's wild. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> and then you like you get to that point where you're starting to craft who you are going to be as an adult. And so that's like a really vulnerable time. Like I my whole thing in my early 20s was that I was like dramatic and like dark and a little threatening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. I wore my hair dark. I was always, I felt so grown up all the time because I yeah. was always wearing like stiletto heels with my jeans. Nice. And like, wow. I mean. <laughs> that is, that is bombing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was like a pretty hot 22 year old, but I was also like really, I think more concerned about like the image I was projecting yeah. then. And now I'm like super comfortable with the fact that I'm like kind of goofy and that you know like i just yeah. i'm like i don't have to be sly i i, I let go of the idea of like being a femme fatale yeah. which is like what my thing was in my 20s now i'm just like oh hey guys yeah <laughs> like, yeah for sure yeah i i think that like being cool is i guess in the way like i always perceived it is any like someone who's like you know just very like likable or personable or just kind of doesn't give a, a rat's ass about like what society expects from them they just kind of live their lives as themselves and you know they and yeah they just they don't do what's expected of them they are just you know they're they're comfortable in their own skin like those are the coolest people uh I'd say, and and like, luckily, I feel like now we're in a culture where anyone can be cool. I think we are. I think we've hit a really awesome turning point as far as like what's socially acceptable. Like we have a long way to go, yeah, and a lot of things that need undoing and unlearning. But at the base, because like confidence is sexy. Um, it really fucking is. It really is. And and what we do and what we've done, um, I'm sure, I don't know if you're my age or close. How old are you? Guess. Like, you're probably in your 30s, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that made my day. Okay. Um, in January, I will be 24. No way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. like the thickest my beard has ever been. Uh, so the beard is really making you timeless. Like, I think beards are the key. It, you could be any real. age. Oh my god, I know. It's like, it's transformative for sure. I've been getting compliments left and right about it. Even like some of my homies from back home are like, dude, your beard is fucking beautiful. Like, <laughs> good beard. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. I wonder, okay, so like, I think about like fashion trends mm -hmm. a lot because they really are fascinating to me yeah um it, and it's it's funny how like we're kind of in a stage where anything goes now yeah. like you are just kind of do whatever you want right um, exactly and you don't even you're not even quirky or eccentric anymore like yeah I, i'm a nanny and the the daycare workers where my nanny kid goes like have purple hair like it's just mm -hmm. i mean i can like I look like a typical baby mom. <laughs> I'm not a mom, but like I look, I'm of the age. I look like. <laughs> yeah. But so for men and um, and like masculine, like identifying people, I've I've really watched like the beard make make its entrance and then like stay. I think beards are here to stay for a while. I like to think so. There's a lot of great beards in River West. Like, oh say. yeah, yeah. I've I've seen them on Tinder. Oh yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, There's like two two kinds of men on Tinder, um, and it's men with beards and men holding dead fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is like the two kinds. Right. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. There's no in between. No. There's or, not. No. Not no whatsoever. I feel like that divides like. A Milwaukee person from a, the rest of Wisconsin person. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, cause every time, every time there's somebody holding a dead fish, like you look at the location and it's 
it's like about 20 miles outside of the city. Yeah. I don't know. It's like when you look at like what was considered cool when you were growing up, like going through adolescence, going through high school, like going through all the teenage angst, it's like what's cool back then is like so lame now. You know, like... I don't know. The 90s are back. Yeah, I guess the 90s are back. So, like, this is my time. Right. Like, this is my, this is my time. Like, all of the things that I wore in high school, I can wear again. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean... The, the denim. It's the denim absurd. has returned. I, didn't, I never thought I would get old enough yeah. to see that happen. But the, the Doc Martin boots and the flannel shirts oh, and, yeah. like... Mm-hmm. I had my senior photo taken in a Pixies t-shirt. Hell yeah. And then I went and saw the Pixies. Nice. <laughs> Fuck yeah. This past year. And oh, at the rave? Yeah, nice. and I saw them at Summerfest too. And I mean, like, it's never going to be the same without Kim Deal. Let's be real mm-hmm. here. But it was just, it's wild. I saw Henry Rollins speak and I looked around me and there's just like all these all these dudes who you know like came straight from the office and they're balding but they're wearing their chuck taylors and mm-hmm. i'm like these guys were so sexy 20 years ago yeah. at punk rock shows like yeah, for sure. <laughs> they're in khakis now yeah well there's also like and you think back at when we're talking about uh like fashion movements like think about like glam in like oh, the 70s goodness. and yeah. early 80s like the hair metal movement as well like it's like that sort of androgynous uh, image that you know a lot of like these like m- like male rock stars had was like really really sexy for, at the time too you yeah. know and it's like yeah it's 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 interesting how things have shifted um, and now with the, but that's like back too yeah I think that like oh, yeah. what I'm loving is that I'm seeing everything i feel like everything's back yeah i feel like if you if you're into it and you have enough confidence to pull it off it's just cool now right which is i think the coolness is like tied into like the idea of vulnerability too Mm -hmm. because there is like there's a confidence factor to being cool and there's also like I mean, there's a vulnerability factor too. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the less somebody worries about being cool, the cooler they are. Pretty much, yeah. A defiance of, you know, like, you know, uh, social, cultural, or like other, or like gender norms. Like, you know, it can be very like intimidating because you feel like you're gonna be like, rejected or you're not going to be accepted or people are going to make fun of you and sure like you know people are mean but it's like i don't know like the the coolest people were the ones that did something like that different they did something different than everyone else and other people followed suit after them they were like you know what they're doing is actually really awesome you know like you know maybe like I'm into what they're doing, and uh, and that kind of going back to what you're saying is like that is uh, done through that confidence, definitely. Like just being confident in the way you look or in the way you identify, the way you act, like behave, like you know, because you know it's like as long as you're just as long as you're doing what you like, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, and as long as you're you know, just like owning your image, then fuck yeah. Like you're killing it. You're you're cool. Well, like rebellion is sexy. Yeah. Um, but I think when I think about the way that rebellion is sexy and attractive, mm-hmm. um, it like I think about the idea of like conformity and I think about um yeah. I think about bootstrap rhetoric and mm-hmm. societal norms because like one of the most effective ways to to squash rebellion is to keep people busy and feeling weak and isolated. Mm-hmm. Like a confident person leads other people around them to confidence. Mm-hmm. And that kind of an attitude can grow, it can spread, and even things like 
small rebellions like the body positivity movement fat people being like listen we're also gorgeous and we need to shift the entire way like everybody views the human body yeah um things like the sex positivity movement things like Mm -hmm. um like the fact that you know people in varied places on the gender spectrum have existed for always we're just talking about it now yeah (laughs) like all of that stuff is i mean that's an act of rebellion that takes a lot of confidence Mm -hmm. um which is exactly what capitalism doesn't want taking root (laughs) because like and vulnerability plays into that because you have to exercise vulnerability in order to trust the people around you that's that's where you start to build community you build it with trust and if you can't i mean if you can't build that trust or if you're discouraged from building that trust if you're told that that kind of trust is foolish um, you're going to remain isolated and it's going to lessen your confidence Mm -hmm. it's going to lessen your ability to just do what feels good and right (laughs) like for yourself it's going to make you uh you know like i don't know it fucks us up so much like on I think about like and as somebody who's a child care professional I think about like how do we raise children with the confidence to 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 be exactly who they need to be and give them more of a chance at having good self-esteem and mm-hmm. healthy coping tools right. <laughs> and one of the things that we can do is let little boys wear nail polish if they want Stop telling them they have to be a certain way or they're wrong or they're not going to fit in. Stop putting the fear of not fitting in into children. Yeah. And I can, yeah, like, we, most of us can attest to that because, to put it quite frankly, a lot of us are very anxious, depressed, have other various, you know, mental health struggles, have had serious trauma, mm-hmm. have uh, very bad trust issues. A lot of that comes from that that alienation that you know we faced from not fitting in or from feeling different or from you know being bullied or ostracized or you know harassed for you know, being who you are. Like, I'll give an ex- like, one of the biggest examples is the word gay. Like, how it was so, like, it was used as an insult. Like, so much, like, growing up, like, that was, like, what... It was pejorative, yeah. Yeah, like, that was pejorative. what my friends and I, like, we, like, we'd say that to, that we would use that word to describe anything we didn't like. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I remember the first time, I still remember vividly, I think I was like, I don't know, 11 or 12, (laughs) but my sister, I remember, like, at the dinner table, like, flipped out on me because I said, oh, that's gay, like, in a a degrading way, and she, like, flipped out on me and was, like, furious with me, and because I used it in, like, a, in a, a derogatory way, and, you know, I didn't even, like, not until, like, years on would I, like, actually fully stop using it in that way. But it's, it's, but that being said, there's still people, you know, that are even well older than me that still use it yeah. as an insult. And I'm like, you know, it's like that was a product of, you know, that really, like, horrible social conditioning we've had it's it means something that's othered you know Mm -hmm. um because what is worse um what is worse than being othered in any way like we are taught to be afraid of being othered yeah and when i think about the people that bullied me as a kid every single one of them like i know who a lot of them are as adults now and like like I 
you feel kind of bad for them. Yeah. Um, but like those people were the people who were most taught to fear being different. Mm-hmm. Like they were scared of it and that is the fault of their parents. Like their parents yeah. did that to them. I'm sure their parents are very nice people who did their best, but um, okay. like, come on, let's all do better now. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. I'm, you know, not trying to talk shit about your. My mom, parents are no. Ex- my parents are no exceptions. Yeah. They're like yeah. wonderful people, but it's like you know they. Yeah. They and, were complicit in it too. Right, and so they were. They were taught to be terrified of being othered so much so that they had to bully anyone who was a little different in order to kind of throw the scent off them. Yeah. Like these are some of the most terrified people I know. Most of them lack any kind of bravery. Mm-hmm. Um, are like it just—it's heartbreaking when right. you when you even conduct like a like a personal study of these things. 20, 30 years later, it's just like, oh man, like you were awful to me because you were expected to fall in line. And you were terrified of failing. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry about that, man. Like. <laughs> yeah, and uh, another thing, kind of like, I, I alluded to this earlier, but like things that were cool to us, that were that was it was taught to be cool to do so. Um, kind of like rebellion is sexy, but in a way that. Um, in a way that's applied to when we're younger. Like, I think of partying on the weekends in high school is like, that was what the cool kids did. If you, if you said yeah, it- I wasn't invited to any of those. I had to like fight to be invited. Like, you know, like I, <laughs> I like, you know, like it was- that I was, didn't party on the weekends. I wasn't cool. Oh, well, yeah, but it's like, it was entirely like, I think a lot of us were really struggling to like, fit in and, and yeah. like be accepted and that was why uh you know i i prioritized that so much like desperately trying to like fit in when i was younger like i feel like i had to be invited to those parties to be fitted to be cool but now that's evolved into like well rebellion is still sexy like like you said earlier like that's i like like I like that a lot. Like that's that's a really like true statement. But now as we're an adult, it's like, okay, well now I think of cool as like, okay, well, what are you passionate about? You know, what are you what are you standing up for in life? What are you chasing after? What are you like you know, do you have like a creative outlet that you're pursuing? Are you, you know, continuing to defy those norms that, you know, capitalism and uh, you know the, the corporate world and you know like the patriarchy like all kind of like expect you to fall into you know to be a cog in the machine and now it's like the coolest people are the ones that you know are making music are being are aspiring filmmakers are you know Freelance photographers, our visual artists, our poets, our you know journalists that like actively pursue like the stories they want to tell, um, you know, anyone who has some kind of creative or passionate outlet, it's like they've been taught that that's not going to make them money, and therefore they're going to fail by society standards because you know they won't be making like. They won't be able to make it sustainable. But our generation um, is more than ever right now, like finding so many alternative ways to success. And that's fucking awesome. And it and it inspires me every day to work harder, like, you know, with this and with everything else I do, because like, you know, I'd be fucking miserable if I was just another cog in the machine. i if anything I'd feel like I couldn't like you know, just be myself in doing, I'd hate. So that's what's cool to me. Like, and there's still people that still, you know, like, and I'm not going to knock anybody that's working nine to five, you know, we need those people. And many people are very, very comfortable and happy and content with doing that. And so I don't knock anyone that does that at all. 
it's just, you know, it's like, but now it's like when I see people that are still, you know, partying nonstop and still like, you know, going out three, four nights a week and, and posting all of their story, Snapchat stories, like how much they're partying, then it's like, dude, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> what do you, what do you do? You know, like, what do you like do? Like, what are your goals? You know, that's like, not cool by the standard it was when you were a teenager. It's like, we have to grow up and like actually pursue like, you know, what, what we find meaning in, in this life, you know? So. I think it's funny. Cause like, so my generation, um, cause I'm like, you know, a little more than 10 years older than you. And like right. 36, we, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be 37 in a couple months. Mm. Um, we were told, like, you know, you're never going to... Like, I... Okay, so when I was growing up, like, Greenwich Village was still shitty. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. I had a cousin who lived there in the East Village, and she was an artist. Um, and I remember visiting, <laughs> and, like, her loft was really cold. Mm. <laughs> All this exposed brick, and it was yeah. so... I mean, it was so attractive and glamorous to me. Like, it's it's funny, like, the evolution of things. But, you know, we're told, like, art is not going to make you money. You need to do something practical. You have to go to college and get a degree. And then you're guaranteed job security. And, like, some of us didn't do that. And it's, I don't know, it's almost funny because, um, like, don't get me wrong, the way that things have gone are, are horrible. Like, the <laughs> everything is awful. And uh, Amazon's burning, and like, I mean, yeah, we're absolutely there. But I think about how the people of my generation, like, nobody's making money. Mm -hmm. So, like, it kind of gave us the freedom to just go be artists anyway because we're all starving to death. <laughs> like, so it's just yeah. like, okay, well, you know, I'm just gonna like make art then and be in the exact same place I would have been if I had gotten a college degree, <laughs> except less debt. Yeah. My house that I live in still should be condemned, but it would be that way anyway, so... Okay, boomer. Okay. <laughs> That's all I, I gotta say, the fucking boomers. <laughs> I, I mean, as a generation, yes. I feel... I know so many people in... Like, that are boomer age who have been revolutionary and rebels, and mm -hmm. I think that you know, I come from, I come from a, a culture that really honors its elders, and I think that it's, it's important to, like, recognize that. I think, like, the boomer generation as a whole, like, absolutely, let's talk about the crashed housing market and global warning, warming for sure, mm -hmm. but I also, in those moments, I really still love to honor the people who are older than me who came before me and who, you know, <laughs> fucking fought on the front lines to get us where we are now, all yeah. of the good places. Right, yeah. And the people that I still turn to for advice, mm -hmm. um, who helped to, to guide me, who are, I mean, still doing important revolutionary things and guiding the younger yeah. generation. They're out there, is what I'm saying. Like, they're there. Bernie. And I think, of, I think of Bernie. I think of my friends. Like I think, um, like my friend Susan is. Um, I call her my auntie. Mm -hmm. She is. Um, her artwork appears in various publications. Oh, it's like her last name. Collections of anarchist art. Um, I don't know how to say it. It starts with a B. Been to her house for wine. Ah. And, <laughs> you know, nice. And I and I love her. And if she were to ever give me advice, I would listen. Um, she has done really important things and she has been at the forefront of the like you know local points of the water protectors movement and she has a beautiful graphic novel out and and she is she's going to be and she's raised um, a beautiful family full of you know she's got grandchildren now and her children grew up to also carry on you know, the family legacy of fighting on the right side of history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I look at things like that because those of us um, who, are, who are fighting on the right side of history 
some of us came from points of rebellion, you know, rebelling against the people who raised us in ways that were a little unfortunate, but some of us came from a legacy of people who led the way and showed us yeah. how, and that also deserves honor. Absolutely. And so I wish that, I don't know, the meme is funny, but I feel like it is multi-layered when we really break it down. And I mm -hmm. just, like, I mean, there's always been conflicts between generations. Right. And maybe it was like this 30, 40 years ago as well. I just, like, the boomer millennial conflict is so fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that a good, like, definitely a good way to look at it is, like, you know, when, like, when you were, when we were talking about, like, being on the right side of history and whatnot, it's like, you know, who in that boomer generation, who continued to, like, progress as history continued to unfold, who continued to fight for the oppressed, marginalized, disenfranchised, who continued to, you know, innovate their beliefs and values as history continued, and then who sort of remained, who kind of just hit a wall with it and just kind of remained in a mindset where like, this is the way things should be and it's not worth changing them. And I mean, one of the places we can look in history is, um, I mean, let's look at our black communities. Yeah. Let's look at all of the members of those communities who are boomers who have helped lead lead entire revolutions, yeah. who are still leading entire revolutions. I mean, yeah. what we're actually mad at when we're mad at boomers is we're mad at rich white people. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's who, that's like what we're, that's what we're mad about. Yeah. We're mad about rich white people who had the power um, in a certain era to not lead us here and they led us here anyway for their own gain and now we're all gonna die. Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. And um, and so I'm Jewish uh, and um, I went to my first uh, protest actually uh, this past summer, it was uh, Jews Against Ice. Ooh. Um, yeah, it was a- That was, that was, ugh. Solidarity. Yeah, it was very yeah. awesome. Uh, my friend Ari Blumenkatz, uh, he was one of the organizers. Shout out to Ari. Um, <clears throat> and what was amazing, particularly about that day, was how a lot, like, it was a very diverse age range. Like, there was everyone from very old folks to kids, you know, like, like uh, children. Um, of people, of like their parents who were organizing and whatnot that were, you know, still holding the sign and still chanting and everything it was beautiful. Um, but what was so captivating was how like, you know, I want to say like pretty much like, I'd say half of those that were present for that protest were like senior citizens mm -hmm. that were, you know, elder Jewish folks and, you know, it's amazing watching that, you know, these folks that are standing up for what's right because we as a Jewish community, like, we know as history has, has, you know, persecuted us again and again and again all over the world. Like, Jews know. We know oppression when we see it. And, like, they know, like, what's happening. You know, and they know that they need to stand up for, you know, for, you know, families being separated. They need to be for the concent uh, concentration camps going on at the border, which is absolutely heinous um, that people don't call it for what it is. And, you know, it's like we're fucking tired of it. And we... and. To, to see, like, old folks like that, that are still doing that, that are still, like, standing up for what's right and are still, you know, showing up at the crack of dawn, like, bright and early to chant and to 
and to uh, you know spread love and awareness, but also you know let our voices be heard. Like it's it was one of the most inspiring things I have ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's I mean it makes me. Well, I mean, uh, like people who have faced oppression are always going to recognize oppression um, and see it for what it is um, much more readily than people who have um, never had to worry about certain things. Right, and it's—I mean, it's not like it's not their wheelhouse. It's easy to explain something away. It's—it's it's easy mm -hmm. to explain things. Yeah. Um, it's easy not to worry about things that don't affect you, you know? Right. Or it's easy to say, well, I don't see this, so it can't be real. Yeah. Which blows my mind, because, like, how many people believe in aliens? But, like, we can't believe in system systemic oppression if we haven't, like, seen it, demonstrated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, but aliens might be real. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like... You know, you're like role playing on weekends with your. I mean, I'm not gonna even knock that because like I'm D and D is awesome. Right. Yeah. But what I'm <laughs> is like people yeah. have such an easy time imagining things and treating the things they imagine as though they're real, but then they can't like take something because it's it's scary. Yeah. They feel like I think a lot of they feel like things are something's being taken away from them. Yeah. You know, they feel like they're going to become marginalized. You know, like that that whole bullshit alt right, like white genocide conspiracy theory that's yeah. going on. Like, yeah. that's kind of the reactionary response to, mm -hmm. you know, to multiculturalism and to, you know, social activism and whatnot. Like, it's it's bullshit because people are just tired of feeling like they don't fucking matter. You know, like all that's being asked of people that are of privilege is to just listen to what a community needs from you and to just like hear somebody out give somebody like the light of day when they're when they're explaining their circumstances or very real oppression that they've faced and like just list just fucking listen it's a lot easier then it fucking seems that everyone's like freaking out, and like, and it also it's very inspiring too because it makes you want to, like if you have like if your heart is in the right place you will like really you will like be yearning to be a part of that change. You're gonna be excited to learn and to demonstrate that allyship and to continue growing as an individual. Um, and what people don't realize is oppression is not only like systemic, it also occurs in our everyday conversations, in our own communities, in our circles. It happens in our conversations amongst each other as in the form of microaggressions, you know? Just do better moving forward, you know? Do you think that people are so resistant to listening because the idea of pausing to listen makes them afraid that they're never going to have a chance to speak. Hmm. It makes them afraid that um, that their voice is less important. I wonder that sometimes. I don't know. Hmm. But I wonder about it. Just like, I, I worry for people because like oftentimes people view that kind of correction as an attack on their character. Right? They, yeah. They feel like, I mean, I don't know how many times I've had to be corrected, but I'll tell you it's a lot. And um, the thing that I've had to train myself to do is turn to the person who corrected me and say, thank you. Yeah. And keep moving. Totally. And um, does it, like, yeah. you know, it's easy to get in your feelings, but... Yeah. Um, Take it personally. Right. And the, the difference between, like, me 10 years ago and me now is, like, 10 years ago I would be defensive and I would want to be like, but I am a good person, but these mm -hmm. are all the ways in which I try. And I'm like, that doesn't matter in the moment like right. it's okay it's okay to need correction it's okay so yeah. I wonder in the same vein are people afraid to let other people speak because they feel it's going to minimize the importance of their voice you know yeah that because we really as humans like we we need to be heard yeah 
Um, we're, we're, we crave that validation constantly. Yeah, like, like I don't know if you've yeah. ever worked in the service industry. Oh yeah. Yes. Well, I do now actually. Okay, all right, well, so. I Okay, technically I'm a dishwasher, so I don't deal with the customers, but like, I I mean, I've worked at Starbucks for a year and a half. Like I've- Yeah, I've you, been, that's yeah. the service industry. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, like this super angry Karen who like right, yeah. is so upset about something that is totally out of your control. Yep, yeah. 90% of the time, what Karen needs is somebody to look at Karen and say, I am so sorry this has happened. I care about the fact that you're distressed. Like, like, um, I'm sorry that, like, there were two pumps instead of one pump of flavor in your latte. That is very inconvenient for you, and I care about that. And, like, half the time, Karen is just going to walk away with that latte anyway and be like, oh, honey, it's fine. Like, after, like, you know, it's, it's just that Karen needs somebody to say, I care about the fact that you are distressed. <laughs> like, that's... That's what it is. Oh, you God. You need to be heard. Like, all I can think about, all I can think about in that entire story <laughs> is the Shorewood Starbucks. Oh, That's yeah. all I fucking think about. You know, fucking suburb Starbucks. You deal with that. You actually deal with exactly what you're talking about. Right. Um, so, you hit a lot of really key points. Uh, and I... I want to preface by saying that everybody, no matter their identity, everyone in some capacity can do better in some way. You know, everyone gets corrected at some point and everyone, you know, has ignorance of some marginalized community that they don't belong to that they will learn over time. And that's, you know, and, and it's great. Um, I think that I definitely, so I am very, I'm, I'm a very hypersensitive person myself. Um, I read people very, very easily and I take things very, very personally myself. And as a cisgender white male, um, you know, that uh, has been, it's been very humbling for me to kind of like be in this odyssey of understanding like my place in spaces that I enter um, that other folks may feel, you know, a safety net in. And, you know, when I walk into a space, they may feel intimidated by me, threatened by me. They may feel like, you know, they may feel like in danger. And I know that sounds bold, but I mean, it's true. I mean, and they have reason to because of, you know, how society has treated them. You know, it's like when I walk into a space, somebody might feel unsafe because of my, because of how I present, you know? And, and while I know in my heart, like, I may not, you know, like, I don't mean anyone, anyone harm. Like, I want people to feel safer on me. I want people to feel seen and heard i want to be doing better constantly like while i mean i may know that like doesn't mean that your impact is going to be as great as your intent um and that's a really it's a hard pill to swallow so well nobody owes anyone their trust exactly and and that's been a really hard thing for me to digest myself because like i'm constantly in my own head being like why doesn't the, you know, like, why can't this person just, like, you know, accept me for, like, me trying to do my best, you know? Like, I, like, I get in my head about that all the time. But, you know, I think that because, you know, it's like, instead of getting angry at them for, you know, not necessarily feeling, like, safe around you, I blame, it's better to just blame like the people, the, the system that made them feel that way in the first place. Yep, exactly. You know? So, like I, if we yeah. feel indignant that we can't, well, first of all, I think that it's important to just like, acceptance is really important for white people. Like you have to accept that not every space is a space you belong in. Yeah. And um, I mean, if we look at the, <laughs> 
look at how this country was built. Like, obviously, the right. country began with white people walking into spaces that weren't their spaces and being like, this is my space now. Yeah. I'm just going to do whatever I damn well please. And mm-hmm. when, oftentimes, I find when, when you tell that to a white person, they are confused. <laughs> and the idea of, like, any space not being for them is so perplexing and they're so indignant and they're upset and they feel unwelcome and it's like well i mean but why do you need every space like why do you need all the candy right like you don't sometimes you don't get to have every single thing that you want and like it's okay like what are you going to do with all those spaces anyway you don't need to you don't need them like it's fine if like I just, I think that uh, somebody said, somebody said something to me once about like cultural appreciation and how things are meant for sharing. And I just remember my response being like, you can share your things if you want to, but you can't decide that I owe it to you to share my things. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Like they're my things, and if I don't want to share them, like that's okay because you still have your things. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not it's not my it's not mine to walk into someone's house and demand that they like share their dinner with me. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you can't just go into someone's house and be like, "Well, I'm gonna like use your laptop and wear your clothes because everything's meant for sharing." Yeah. Like that's. That is not yeah. how this works. <laughs> right, yeah. And it's like, you're not, it's like you can, and you can always still, like by all means, like. You can ask. Right, most of the time. Can I wear your clothes? Like, yeah, right, yeah. and that's usually all it takes is just asking, asking questions is, is a, you know, is a very, you know, useful way to go about that confusion. You can, by all means, you're still welcome to be in a space. You're just not, you're not about... If you're invited into it. Right, right, yeah. yeah. But you're not about to dominate it, even if you get invited into it. And that's, (laughs) you know, and that's, I think, like, the whole... That's really, like... Like, it's not your home, so you have to... If you've been invited into the home, then you abide by the rules of the home, like... Oh man, I just, I'm taking this analogy every place with me now because I'm thinking about like the cultural traditions that like I and my people carry that we don't want to share versus the ones that we like could share. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, well our food is like delicious so you could probably eat that. But I think about it as in like people coming to ask to borrow my clothes. Like, okay, you can wear my sweater, (laughs) but you can't wear my underwear. Like it's yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and I think I just just now like put cultural appropriation like into those terms for yeah. myself, where it's like I would loan someone my sweater, but I would not loan somebody my underpants ever. And so, if you think about it, like walking and walking into someone's home and asking to borrow their personal wardrobe, like that helps explain the reasons why some things might be fine, and other things might might be off limits mm-hmm. like would you go through somebody's underwear drawer and put on their underwear like right. it's personal yeah <laughs> it's theirs right. yeah it's, are you gonna take your pants off right there in the hallway like what yeah. what are you doing mm-hmm. um and it's i mean like you think about like headdresses at Patel, at coachella like that's the yeah. equivalent of like trying to wear somebody's like very personal garments. Mm-hmm. Would you go into their jewelry box and take their grandma's pearls and be like, "Oh, I'm just gonna borrow these because I think they look pretty." Like it's just that's what right. it is. Yeah, yeah, no, ex- exactly. Um, yeah, like <clears throat> you can wear my coat. Yeah. Not my grandma's pearls. Right. Right. Yeah. Like the most personal and sacred things that belong to you, like yeah. you know, no one has any sort of entitlement over. Um, How do we get? Weren't we going to talk about love and like it's oh, been politics? Oh no, no, this is <laughs> no, this is hey, this all goes, this all goes hand. It's all, it's all intertwined. <laughs> I think this is great. <laughs> yeah, I think now as we are running out of time, I think I will like kind of conclude like because and sort of like as a 
more direct answer to your question about like do I feel like my voice is being like taken away like if I'm you know like asked to like make room for other folks like I think that and it's something I you know try to challenge myself with every day and uh, I found that we're in a wonderful community here in River West that you know has been you know a great way for myself to keep continue growing and learning as an individual is just not talking when I don't when it's not my turn to talk oh my god that's such a revolutionary concept like honestly you like know. so many people feel so desperate to like put their two cents in yeah. and I this is and this is something that's come with age for me and that I'm sure will continue to evolve as I get older there are so many times where I ask myself, like, does it, do I need to speak? Yeah. I don't need to. Actually, like, I don't, this is not, no, it's, I, I'm fine over here. Right, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. what, what is it though that gives people the need to speak on everything all the time? I think it's because. Are we lonely? Is it that we're lonely? I, I think it's because we... And we feel unseen and unheard? Yeah, it, yeah pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, honestly. The I whole think, thing about people feeling like they need to have an opinion on something that doesn't even affect them is like... It's like if they have any sense that, like, they're, that their reality is going to be affected or change or be altered to accommodate you know, a person or a group of people, you know, they get defensive. And I think it comes, that's where the fear kind of plays in because they fear what they don't know or understand or don't understand. I think that, I think it's fear. Yeah. I think fear, because like the obvious answer is going to be entitlement, right? Mm -hmm. And that is a whole other like can of worms to open because I think that fear and entitlement like yeah. go hand in hand. Oh yeah, of course they do. Because like entitlement is is often used as a defense mechanism that is a response to fear, mm -hmm. um, which begins, I believe, at the way that we are raised and the things that we are told make up value in a person. Mm -hmm. So things like social capital, um, things like looking a certain way, living in the right neighborhood, making the right amount of money, like all of the things that build a successful and well-liked and valued person. This actually ties right into my TED talk from two years ago. Nice. But go. yeah, like that, it, it's all, it all goes back to that that idea that um, we're told that we have to be a certain way in order to hold value. And so... It came full circle. <laughs> yeah, I did. I didn't expect it to because yeah. I go all over the place. But so what we have then is a fear of, of not meeting that criteria for value. And then what happens is um, like entitlement entitlement comes with that that false idea of value like with that with with the criteria we're like i meet this criteria i'm entitled and oftentimes i see displays of entitlement as a direct response to the fear of not meeting the criteria mm -hmm. which can be the fear of <laughs> white genocide <laughs> right <laughs> because like if you think that like your whiteness is an intrinsic part of your value as a human, then like the fear of it, like being taken yeah. away. I'm trying to have a straight yeah. face. Yeah. Um, but like you know, so you're scared, and then um, you like root yourself even harder in the entitlement that it believes that it gives you, and and that's how you become an old white dude talking about reproductive rights yeah. <laughs> like that's that's that leads you straight there um and talking about building a <laughs> building you know properties over sacred native american lands yeah because like you're clinging to your entitlement yeah, right. as the thing that makes you 
value, like if you strip these people down and you took all that away from them, I, like could they find value in themselves, I wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we did some really good work here today. <laughs> I think this was all great stuff. This was an adventure. It sure, sure was. Yeah. I'm glad we Thank did Thank you it. for having me. You bet. And thanks for letting me pet your cats. You can continue after we cut the camera. Very nice. They look very comfy over there again. Uh, Well, so as we close out, uh, Nina, what keeps you up at night? Oh, no. Um, Okay, what keeps me up at night? Uh, My schedule keeps me up at night. I'm a very busy lady, and um, I do a lot of things around the city, and I worry that I'm not going to get everything done all the time <laughs> like ditto so, yeah yeah i worry and also um the burning amazon and uh the genocide of my people and which are oh, the roma sure okay um and also like wondering if i remember to turn the stairwell light off yeah. And I have to pee a lot. I pee so much. Yeah, like that also keeps me up yeah. at night. Like I drink tea before bed mm-hmm. and then I just keep getting up to pee. And I know that it's cyclical and I could do better and not drink the tea before bed and yet I'm a glutton for punishment. That's <laughs> the tea. Get it? Um, what puts you to sleep though? Oh, um, melatonin and ashwagandha. So. And sometimes a little kava in my tea. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I can't go to sleep naturally. Ah, uh, so sure. I need I, assistance. A lot of people do. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely a... I mean, I'm a millennial, so my, like, baseline is heightened anxiety. Yeah. I agree. I just, yeah, I get worn out from using my mind all day and from being an anxious wreck, so... Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having You're me. You're very welcome. So, uh, yeah, um, if you've uh, gotten this far, uh, remember to, uh, you know, be radically vulnerable, to communicate, you know, how you're feeling to not only those around you, but to yourself. Um, Trust people. Trust people. This is a wild time to be saying that in 2019, but extend trust and let people trust you. And don't talk when you, uh, it's not your turn to talk. And don't talk with your mouth full. That too, yeah, that's a big one. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time.